On this episode of Common Mystics, we travel to mid-state New York, where this country's original sin still echoes through the hillside. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are Common Mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And today we have a story for you out of McGraw, New York. Okay. So our sister Jessica lives in McGraw. She does. And she she was hosting us for my birthday weekend. Now, she has told us many a time. She's like, you guys, it's so haunted here. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Nothing she could have said could have prepared me for this creepy ass little village of McGraw. And believe me, I say that with love and admiration. True. Nothing like I've ever experienced. This was something special. So before we get into all that, there is a notable correction that I have to make because I do not pronounce things or read things correctly. (laughs) Dear T.I., I'm very sorry I mispronounced your name. You are an author, a wonderful human being all the way around, and thank you so much for supporting our show. You and your husband are delightful, and I'm asking all of you folks listening out there to check out Ghost Stories with Spooky Miss T.I. on Facebook. She's amazing. Yay. Thank you so much, T.I. We love you. Thank you. We love you. Now, Jen, back to the show. <laughs> so, McGraw, New York. Wait. Do you, do you want me to talk a little bit about what it's like? Well, can you talk about what Jessica and Adam did for my birthday first? Oh, my gosh. They made it so special, you guys. It was like she made our house a hotel for us. She did. And we did those cool paper lanterns at night where you light a little votive and then they rise up into the sky. It was really nice. And then um, they had this Ichabob blow up like Halloween decoration (laughs) that they put they made for like they made it going for me because they know I like spooky stuff. And it was really, really sweet. So thank you guys so much. It was very Uh, special. It was legit very special. The only thing that I have to say <laughs> is there was a smoky Lala mofo also staying in the house, and it was, like, choking me out because I was already sick before you we got there. You were sick. Like, your face was half swollen. <laughs> your eye was bloodshot. You were a mess. That's totally fair. She's not exaggerating, and there are no pictures of me from that trip. Right. On purpose. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we were staying, and it was so nice in the house. Uh, they made it so special, but there there were some smokers hanging out in the house, and you were already not feeling well, and so I could just sense, like, we needed to get you some air. Yes, so you are like, and you guys, you know Jennifer by now, so <laughs> I'm not feeling well, and she's, like, all up on my shit, like, like pulling me out of the house, like, making sure I'm okay. <laughs> she's, like, holding my arm, walking down the street. If I didn't look like her very large, handicapped little sister, then I look like her very large lover, because she was, like, all up on me. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, so we get out of Jessica's house, and what's fair? we see a little, like, stream and a bridge, and that's the direction we take. It's gorgeous. Yeah, picture. Oh, so pretty. It it's is. little town. Yeah. I want to say it's stone. It's like a concrete yeah. little bridge and the and it's the trickling, trickling brook. Just so lovely. And we, we turn around and we're walking down the street and, and all then, of a sudden we're like, where are we? As soon as I started feeling well, I was like, Jen, I'm good. I'm good. You shook me loose. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm all right. All right. Um, and then I'm like, holy F. I was like, this whole place is haunted. It's not like there was a haunted building. It looked like there were eyes on or felt like there were eyes on us from every direction and angle. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You had a great analogy for this. So, you know, when Dorothy's house lands in Oz and she walks out in Technicolor and she is walking around in amazement and she knows that there are some things or some people or persons that she can't see that are watching her and it turns out to be the munchkins. That's exactly how this felt. Exactly. But nothing cute came out. I don't think the munchkins are cute. I think I they're kind of I think some creepy. of them are. Well, all right. We'll talk about and that later. And those three little ones with the lollipops, I would have. I was into it. I was like, give me a lollipop and dance with me. I would have been all happy. Anyway, the point is we were walking down these streets and it was still and it was quiet and it felt like eyes were on us. Yes. And it felt like whomever was watching us expected us like like they were waiting for us to arrive and they knew like who we are and what we were doing there Uh uh-huh it was super creepy so we got scared (laughs) and we're like we're going back to jessica's house i don't care if that kid's smoking i was like we're we're there and that was before we even got our spook on that is true we weren't even working quote unquote on the podcast that day Mm -mm. that is not okay so tell me about this creepy ass little village jen Well, just a little bit of description for the people out there who maybe aren't familiar with this creepy-ass little village. It is... And again, we say it with love. We love you, McGraw. It's mostly an agricultural area, first of all, in Cortland County, about four miles east of the city of Cortland. Some people call it upstate New York. Other people call it mid-state. But we are talking about the Finger Lake region. And again, not dirty. It's not dirty. It's not dirty. No. It is, it's located in a valley, in fact, and surrounded by hills on all sides. And there's a brook called the Trout Brook that that flows through the area. So after we retreat to the safety of Jessica's haunted house, because her house too is haunted AF, Mm -hmm. Jen and I started looking up the history of McGraw a little bit. Can you tell Mm -hmm. me a little bit about the history of McGraw? Sure, just very briefly. It was settled around 1806 and named after Samuel McGraw, who was one of the very first settlers. McGraw was incorporated in 1869. It was actually, and this is really important, Jill, McGraw was the home to New York Central College, which was an institution that was founded by Free Baptists in 1849. Okay. I heard of Baptist. I don't know any free ones. I don't understand that, but go on. Well, New York Central College was notable because half of its students were African American. Mm-mm. That is crazy. In 1849, 1849, you have an integrated college that's major. A hundred years later, you wouldn't have that in most oh places. So that is is nuts. Unfortunately, there was a smallpox epidemic that would bring about the college's closure in 1860, along with the social and political opposition to the progressive ways that would also lead to it closing. Okay. So tell me about the the Baptists. I've heard of Baptists, like the religion, but what are free Baptists? Why why are they free? Right. Free refers to their stance on anti-slavery. Okay. Okay, right. So sense. they were anti-slavery Baptists in McGraw and who supported and pretty much ran the New York Central College. 
And the prominent feature of the New York Central College was its anti-slavery, its radical anti-slavery position and also equality of the sexes and also um, their stance on um, Native Americans. Wow. And um, there were actually Native Americans that attended that college as well. So very, very very progressive. So natives, women, men, Mm -hmm. people of all color. Colors. Wow. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. in 1849. I know, but sadly they only lasted about 11 years. But still, that's something. That's something that to be something. said for the, you know, the social and political views at the time in McGraw. So, now we are officially going to start working out and we leave Jessica's house. So please set the intention for us as we leave Jess's. As our intention always is, we were looking to find a story that we had no prior knowledge of, but also to give voice to the voiceless. That's right. And so using our spidey senses, we come upon the McGraw Rural Cemetery just north of Main Street. And as we're heading on Cemetery Street towards the cemetery, I tell you, and you write in the book, Jill Jill slash, she says, it feels like a railroad town. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was also, we get into the cemetery and I'm snapping pictures. I'm walking around. I, hell, I, I don't know where you were, but I was feeling like an organization, like a factory, an industry. And mm-hmm. then I heard you calling for me. What what was going on with you? Well, I got scared because <laughs> I was hearing someone calling for their daughter, mm. my daughter, my daughter. So I got scared and I was like, Jill, where are you? Anyway. <laughs> and so I was still... I I was still feeling on the industry spilling over. It felt like it was expanding, splintering off. And you were walking around very close to me. And you were picking up what? The idea of um, an old religious group such as the Quakers. And I actually wrote down Quakers. That's That was the, the image that was coming into my head. That, that Like the Oats Quaker guy? Well, not the Quaker old guy. I mean, he's hot and all, but no. I was just thinking like <laughs> the Quaker group. You do like strong looks. Okay. So I was picking he does up have on a strong looks. <laughs> he's was... no James Beckworth, though. That's true. That's true. He wears shorter pants than the clothes. <laughs> than the crow leggings. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was picking up on and help me here. I don't know what cartoon this is from, but I was seeing in my mind's eye the, this lanky wolf whistling, wearing overalls with his hands in his pockets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Whistling in- that tune. Yeah. So what it was, it was giving me the feeling like he was like hiding something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pretending that he wasn't mm-hmm. an, up to anything. Right. He was being nonchalant. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I was feeling that there were a lot of lives that were missing or lost. And you were bringing me down because I was feeling like poetry. I, I was feeling like music. And you were just like, people died everywhere. And I was like, I, Jesus. I know. I know. <laughs> So we get back in the car and we're headed down towards Main Street again. And as we're driving, I kept hearing this name, Coffer. His name was like Coffer or something. So you wrote down in the notebook as I was driving, Jill Coffer. Mm-hmm. That'll mm-hmm. come up later. But so now we're on Main Street and mm-hmm. we see a historical marker. And what did we learn from season one, Cole City? You always have to read the historical markers. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what we did. So that's what we did. So it's the the sign is like right on the street and it's in a parking lot, basically, between mm-hmm. two churches. So we pulled into the parking lot and we parked and we got out and we read the sign. And I'm going to read to you what what at least two different signs said. It was the Old Baptist Cemetery, 1820 to 1864, first cemetery in McGrawville. So that piqued our interest a little bit. Because I thought we were in the first cemetery. We were in the McGraw Rural Cemetery, which some old ass graves are in. So this was quite the surprise. Right. Because we had just come from what we thought was the oldest. So Mm -hmm. anyway, so we're standing in a parking lot and reading the sign. And I'm going to read it here. The Old Baptist Cemetery lies between two churches, McGraw United Methodist Church and the McGrawville Baptist Church in the village of McGraw. This was the first community cemetery in McGrawville, now known as McGraw. Its first burial took place in 1820, with the final burial occurring in 1864. A 1986 National Register of Historic Places form for McGraw's Main Street Historic District remarks that the cemetery is only one acre in size, despite approximately 125 to 150 burials. Ooh. It also details that graves found in this cemetery were marked by flat sandstone and marble headstones, as was common during the 1850s. Sadly, many of the headstones have been lost over the years, with few still standing. Okay, so I have a couple questions, because we are standing in a parking lot in between the two churches, and there is not a cemetery There is anywhere. not a cemetery there. And there's supposed to be like 150 people in like a one In an acre. acre. Yeah. Which means like densely buried dead. Mm -hmm. That shit is concentrated. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So so we're confused. So we're like, well, well, where's the the cemetery? We are literally between the churches and there's a parking lot. So where's the cemetery? So we go a-hunting. We use our- We go a dead hunt. We're hunting the dead. (laughs) Yeah, we're going on a dead hunt. So we turn up our Spideys on full blast and we like go just right between trees and there lies the creepiest. And I know I'm using this word a lot, but I cannot describe the sight that we saw when we walked through those trees. Jennifer, for the love of God, we see so many cemeteries, Jill, and yet we've never seen anything like this. Jennifer. Okay. What? We frequent. All kinds of cemeteries. Like that's what we do. That that that's how we roll. That's where you find me. Hit me up at the cemetery. But this cemetery, oh my uh-huh. God. Please uh-huh. describe. Well, forget about the fact that obviously the stones are super old and they're like growing up into the trees. Okay. Yeah. Like that, that is creepy AF. Yeah. But right in the center of this little cemetery are the old headstones which somebody or some people have taken and arranged in a mosaic grid pattern in the center. Like they laid them down like some creepy-ass patio. Like some dominoes from hell. That's not right. And it almost looked like a stage to me. That's not right. I would take it a step further and say altar, but you know what I'm saying? Don't say Uh, that. Don't say that. I'm just telling you how it looked. I have a lot of pictures of it. You're going to have to post that because you will you will not believe like why? Why? It doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. Why would you do that? 
I, because you know you moved them away from where the people were buried. Right. Even if they fell, then they fell where yeah, the person you leave them was. Where they are, so you know where the the body is in the general vicinity of the stone. Now that stone marks nothing. And what kind now of sick? Like I don't just, get it. I know. I can't. I don't get I, it. So again, we retreat to the car and back to Jessica's house. We're like, screw all this. I'm across haunted as fuck. There's a creepy ass cemetery. We're going back to Jessica's. I can't take it anymore. This town got the uh-uh. best of us. Uh-uh. I did not see this coming. So we're driving. So and, we're, we're and I'm back. actually driving this time. Because Jenna's you're actually, sick. I'm sick. Mm-hmm. My face is swollen. I'm a mess. Mm-hmm. I look like sloth from the Goonies. <laughs> I well, I don't remember I that, that one. Reference. You don't remember Sloth no. from the Goonies? Oh, no. Look it up. Just oh, suffice to Please say, look you it up. like... You need to look it up right now. Crusty and slimy look at it the up same right time. Now. If you do not look it up, I'm going to... I'm not going to look it up. Are you oh, serious? Jennifer? Right now? You, oh, my hold God. Hold on. What is it? What am I looking Sloth up? from the Goonies. Like the animal sloth? That's how you spell it? All right. Sloth. Goonies. Oh, <laughs> I was swollen yeah, one. That's I was fair. I that's am not fair. even kidding. You, you looked exactly like that. I'm saying. Hold on. Thank you for that visual. <laughs> I was like, you need to look this up. Oh, Lord. All right. So we're in the car. I'm driving for once. And Jill says that you, you were seeing an image. In my mind's eye, I was seeing, seeing like logger trucks or like big cut trees like big cut logs like huge mm-hmm. and we're like going a big down pile of logs yes yes and we're going down the street um a couple like a block down and all of a sudden we see that image on the right hand side in this dead end street and the street was called center street so i was center like street, Gen- right i was like jennifer you need to turn around and jennifer mm-hmm. did not go Arr! she pulled into a parking lot she put the car into reverse, then checked both directions before making a left back onto the main road and then proceeding to Center Street. Yes, you're you're quite funny, quite funny. <laughs> Although I did surprise you with my uh, driving skills when we were in Utah. So she, you guys, anyway, she almost killed that's, us that's twice. a story for another time. <laughs> she literally almost killed us twice. Okay. Anyway, I was actually yes. impressed. I was like, God damn, she made into a it today. three point turn. <laughs> I made a three-point turn and turned around. But the point is, so we turn onto Center Street, and there is, I was really impressed with this, there is a huge log pile just like you said you were seeing in your head. That's Mm-mm-mm. crazy, Jill. And, and across. Uh-huh, go, go for t- it. Say it. No, you, you say it. You. 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 Across the street, there is this creepy-ass abandoned building from, like, the turn of the century, if not older. And it was calling to me it was like Jill come uh-huh, check me uh-huh. out and right. it looked like a big factory with like an adjoining factory that was built on later mm-hmm. and so I was you guys I was into it I was all in I'm I was getting into that building because it it needed me and so I'm walking around Jennifer's like hey Jill hey Jill the voice of reason and I'm like, I'm like Jill Jennifer. don't go over there it's collapsing <laughs> she's like trying to break into a building that is half collapsed you were you literally okay. were trying to get into that I building and the back con- was like <laughs> collapsing so I'm approaching the building I don't know if I'm gonna go in it I'm just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really intrigued I like architecture 
I had you in my my sight, a vision in case I needed to call nine one one. And like we're quiet, and I'm like Jennifer. And then all of a sudden we hear a knock from inside the building. And then I'm like Jennifer, did you hear that? And I said, Yeah, I heard it. Get the, get away from the building. And I was like, Shh, 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 shh. I was like, nope, I'm done here. I was like, I got you. I was like, you're haunted. It's cool. You do you. I'm just going to go you back to you. this car. Uh-uh. I was like, I get it. It's fine. Be haunted. Yeah. That's, oh my God. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> no disrespect Honestly, to you. So we ran. We, so Jennifer, we get back to the car. And Jennifer's doing those. Like, she's pulling the seatbelt too quick. So it's like not going over her. And right. I'm like, come on. Come on. <laughs> You know, you pull it too quick and it catches. My God, Jesus, help me. So we retreat back to Jessica's house all shaky and like, holy fuck. So we get there and we discover that that building was an old corset and box factory. Mm -hmm. Old corset and box factory. Jennifer. What? That old building was owned by a Mr. McGraw. It was like his building. Can you tell me a little bit about Mr. McGraw and and about his building and how it came to be? Yes, absolutely. Well, Mr. McGraw that you're referring to is Perrin H. McGraw or P.H. McGraw, who happened to be the grandson of the Sam McGraw, who was one of the first settlers of the area. So That's this was right. his grandson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was formally educated. Perrin was, and at the age of 22, went into business with his father. Um, They were in business together until the time of his father's death in 1849, and then Perrin became the leading partner in this firm, which they had established, until 1857. And in 1857, they sold the company to, I think, the Miller Corset Company, but go on from there. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was sold in 1857. Perrin wasn't just a successful uh, merchant and entrepreneur, however. Hmm. He was also in politics. And in fact, he was a senator for the state of New York. And he identified with a political party known as the Whigs, W-H-I-G-S. Okay. Okay. Um, The Whig Party would cease to exist in 1854, but Senator McGraw then identified as a Republican. Um, He had very sound conservative views on questions of state and national character. Um, Also, Senator McGraw was married. He uh, had several children with her. And he also enlisted as as a volunteer in the New York Infantry Volunteers during the Civil War. And he was like 40 at the time. So as a 40-year-old, I'm telling you right now, my knees wouldn't take that. I'd be like, you boys have fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Get Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. He would be honorably discharged in 1862, and he would pass away in 1899. So he lived a nice long life. Karen McGraw. So the Whig Party um, seems like we need to know a little bit more about them because it, intuitively it sounds like it's it's connected to our story. So tell me a little bit about the Whigs. So the Whig Party was a political party that was formed in 1834 by opponents of President Andrew Jackson and the that, Jacksonian you know Democrats. He was such a dick. So yeah, I would be a Whig. 
So remember we just had this conversation about judging people unfairly out of their historical context? The wig this would party be one of those to, times. This would the, be one of those times. The wig party to like burn Jefferson or to burn Jackson would be like King Jackson. Who all is going to follow him? We fought a war to get rid of King. He's just running the place. He's just being all all king like. Right, See? exactly. Mm-hmm. And so the Whig Party was made up of um, people like abolitionists and those against the harsh treatment of the Native Americans that Andrew Jackson was kind of famous for. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, I'm telling you, there's always a story for the Natives. Were the Whigs, were they anti-slavery? They seem like they would have been. You said abolitionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Whigs weren't technically anti-slavery, but if you were an abolitionist and you were going to join one of the two major parties at the time, one being the Democrats and one being the Whigs, um, abolitionists would absolutely have more common with the Whig party than the pro-slavery Jacksonian Democrats. And by the way, Jackson was a vocal proponent, proponent of slavery, and he personally owned about 160 enslaved people. Like I said. Dick. Okay. I really can't argue with that. Yeah. So what happened to the Whigs? I like them. I do. I I feel like this is my party. What happened to them? You like the Whigs? Yeah, for sure. In 1854, basically anti-slavery Whigs spun off and formed the Republican Party, and Abraham Lincoln would then become the country's first Republican president. Hold it together. Hold it together. I know. I love him so much. I, oh, Jennifer? Okay, so the corset and box factory that we were yes. led to by spirit was owned by um, Perrin McGraw. McGraw. Yes, a notable Whig and anti-slavery, abolitionist, progressive person. Why that factory? Why were we led there? Okay, So here's a connection. I want you to follow me here. I'm following. So we were at a location of the corset and box factory owned by Perrin McGraw. But that location wasn't the first location of this this manufacturing center. Tell me. The first location was actually on Church Street, not Center Street where we were. At a Church Street location, which had been a school owned by the New York Central College. Remember that progressive college that I told you? Yeah. Yes, and the one that funded school, by the Free Baptists. That's right, the Free Baptists, who are, again, abolitionists. Okay, I'm following. So this school that was affiliated with the New York Central College was a school for, quote-unquote, Negro children to okay. educate them and... And according to some sources, this very building, which was a school and then would be housing the corset and box factory, was, according to some sources, a stop on the Underground Railroad. Ooh, goosebumps. Goosebumps. Okay, so Jennifer, I I mean, I'm sure all of us have heard about the Underground Railroad, well, maybe hopefully not in because school. we're in a lot of different countries now. People are listening to us really oh, around the globe. That's so, so true. Please, some tell people me. might not describe the Underground where the Underground Railroad and how it worked. <laughs> well, um, this is according to Jennifer because I did not have time to look this up. So I'm just going to give you my general knowledge based on my American education. And tell please me. pipe in at any time. 
So the Underground Railroad was a secret network of people who were organized in trying to help enslaved people from the southern states to essentially run away to the north through the northern states into Canada. Okay? And Why it was important. Canada? Very good question. Because there was this thing called the Fugitive Slave Act, which was a law that said even if you were a person in the North, it made you, by law, responsible for returning the enslaved wow. person who was considered to be merchandise back to their owner in the South. And if not, if you didn't, you would be culpable of stealing yeah, it would be against the law. Absolutely. You would be imprisoned to up to six months and pay up to $1,000 fine in the 1850s. Well, somebody did her research. I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a pretty face. <laughs> right. So that's how they, that's why they needed to get into Canada, into a completely different country where the Fugitive Slave Act and other unfair laws were not in place. Why are they calling it the underground? Because it, if you were part of this network, it was a secret network. It wasn't something that was written about or published about. And in fact, in order to share information about where places were safe to go and, you know, places to stop, it was all communicated via like songs and like quilts that people would, would wow. you know, put out um, and the quilts if you've ever seen a quilt, you know it has a lot of different symbols on there, and Patchwork. the symbols would actually yes, the symbols would a lot of times um, be a map, would give directions to the runaway enslaved people, helping them get you know from safe house to safe house until they were able to escape the country north to Canada. Okay, we need a recap because there's so many things that we just talked about. We're in. McGraw. We are in McGraw. We, it's creepy. Like the whole town is creepy. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the town itself has a tradition of abolitionist, social, and po- political progressive ideas. And we are w- being led around this town in like the spookiest of places. Right. Right. We end up at the McGraw factory, mm-hmm. which is an analogy, I think, for the original building on Church Street, which doesn't exist anymore. Right, but which was known to have been a stop on the Underground Railroad, where enslaved peoples would have hidden and been helped on their way north to Canada. Oh, my gosh. Okay, what are you spelling out for me here? Because I feel like I'm missing it. Tell me. Well, I think that Perrin McGraw was likely a conductor on the Underground Railroad. The the terminology, I've been doing a lot of research about this. The terminology is actu- actually station master on Ooh. the Underground. I know. I'm into it, man. I'm that. deep into this rabbit hole of the Underground Railroad. He was a station master. And what does that mean? That means that he was harboring enslaved people until they were able to get to their next stop. It was all about timing. And he would have done that at some risk. Yeah, oh, absolutely. He would have done it in secret. He would have done it at some risk. And he could have very well bought that building because it was used, when I say that building, the original corset factory, because it was used in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, this is all uh, psychic conjecture on our part, Jill. It's not, though. 
Oh, tell me. Are, do you have some historical facts that will back this up? As a matter of fact, I do. It's just contradictory to what the actual historian in the McGraw Historical Society had to say, which I found really shocking. Mm, so first, there is a, a book, and the book's called The Underground Railroad Tales with Routes Through the Finger Lake Regions. Again, not not sexual. And on the back of the book, there is an illustration. And the illustration is of a cave or a cave. It's of a tunnel with someone helping a slave pass through the tunnel. And the caption of this illustration is slaves escaping to Smith Creek via the 17 foot tunnel, McGraw, New York. Shut up. The book was by Emerson Cleese and the illustration by Drew Wheeling. Shut up. There's more. Jen, there's more. Tell. Again, there isn't any actual historical documents that we can muster to say, yes, see, this is part of the Underground Railroad. But notably, the McGraw School District, McGrawSchools.org, says that McGraw was chosen as a suitable location, like we said earlier, as a direct route through to Canada via the Underground Railroad. And that's why they chose McGrawville as the place to establish that reformatory institution, the Central New York Central College. Thank you. So you're saying New York Central College chose McGrawville at the time because of its tradition of helping enslaved people escape to Canada. Wow. And I have one more mic drop moment. Hold on to your seats because I went deep on this. There is a descendant from PH, parent, Senator McGraw, that has a or had written a blog posting in the Cooperative Living. And the post was about how it is to be from both sides of the Mason-Dixon line. She had a great-granddaddy fighting for the Confederates, and she had a great-granddaddy, Perrin McGraw, fighting in the 157th New New York Infantry during the Civil War. Not only that, but in 1855, for the sole purpose of halting and abolishing slavery, McGraw conducted slaves, runaway slaves, through McGrawville to Canada along the Underground Railroad. That is quoted from his great-granddaughter's blog post in Cooperative Living. Wow. So it is oral history in her family that he used whatever means available to him to help enslave people through the Underground Railroad that went through McGrawville. And can I just say, I really like the word granddaddy, and I don't think I use it enough. <laughs> you should start. You should start. So, Jill, who is the voiceless in this story? The natives. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. It's always the natives. Transgress. Okay, so. Okay. Who is the voiceless? The voiceless. Of course, P.H. McGraw, Senator of McGraw. Course, parent, right? Mm -hmm. But also, I think the town itself. It doesn't have a notable history in the history books like Syracuse, New York does, for an example, as being like this this notable spot with tunnels that M McGraw isn't like that at all. Well, so hold on. You said, why does Perrin need a voice here? Let's let's go back to that for a minute. 
Okay, Perrin needs a voice here because there are notable abolitionists that risked everything to help people mm. go travel through the Underground Railroad that like wrote books and stuff about it. Mm-hmm. And Perrin McGraw is not one of them. Ah. He was very quiet. His colleagues in in the Senate at the time in the House Legislator of New York were like would be like he's like notably quiet. He does it. He wasn't like broke. He didn't have to have the floor for a long time. He was mm. like like understated man. Okay. And so he never, he would never like boast about this. Now, the whole town, Jill, you want to give voice to the whole town because nobody knows that it was um, a notable place where the Underground Railroad was um, was alive and well. Is that what you're thinking? That's what I'm thinking. And I'm going to take it a step further on um, the McGraw side. I feel like it possibly could have been generational in the McGraw family helping hmm. people. And I'll tell you why. And this is the coolest Helping thing. Helping people escape slavery. Yes. Ooh. Because that name, Coffer, that I picked up on in the car, Yeah. I shit you not, I am listening to a book on Audible, not a sponsor, but we're into it, Audible, hook it up, Bound for Canaan, the Underground Railroad, and the War for the Soul of America, right? Okay. In the book, one of the feature or one of the figures in the book, historical figures, is a Levi Coffin. And he was known as the president of the Underground Railroad. His home was known as Grand Central Station because he organized and helped get 3,000 or more enslaved people on through Canada to Canada. So the fact that you pulled that name, Coffer, Mm -hmm. out of your head in the car. So... I pulled the name Coffer. I said, but the actual guy that that is the president or was known unofficially as the president of the Underground Railroad has a similar name. Totally similar name. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Like, leg- like that's crazy. And he was the president of the Underground Railroad. Unofficially called the president of the Underground Railroad, establishing more than 3,000 fugitives to pass through on their way in his care to Canada. That's crazy. So basically, major breadcrumb that this really happened. Well, major breadcrumb for two reasons. Major breadcrumb because we're in this like scary little place and we're picking up on what seems to be Underground Railroad vibes, but I can't find any research on it, right? It was like weeks, and I was frustrated for weeks trying to figure out this outline because I wasn't getting anything on it. And then when we're going through it, I was thinking today, I'm like, is this enough? Is this enough? Do we have enough here? And then I was taking a walk with Bug the Beagle, and and then I was listening, and he said the Audible book guy pronounces his name as if it's Coffer or very close to it. So I was like, holy shit. So I got home and I Googled it real quick, like right before we recorded, like 15 minutes before we recorded. And it's like, oh, my God. So, yeah, validation. Yeah. Like, this is right. This is right. I'm amazing for that, too. Like, oh, my God. That's a hard ass name just to pick up out. That is nuts. OK. OK. Why is this town so creepy, Jill? I love your theory on this. Tell me. Well, you told me in your research, you found out that the town has been a site of a lot of natural disasters over the years, correct? Yeah. Like notable. Like every year there is flooding and not just flooding. There had been like deep flash floods. Right. So 
do you remember that tunnel that you were talking about? Mm-hmm. And we have that illustration of it that came from that book. Yep. I believe that there were enslaved people hiding in that tunnel during a flash flood. And I think many of them died. Oh, my God. I think that I believe that that happened. I think that's why I was picking up on many lives lost, Mm. many lives missing. And if you think about the words that I wrote down in the notebook, lost and missing, those are like words that you would describe someone who is maybe dead, but also who ran away. Mm -hmm. Those enslaved people were lost and missing, right? Lost to their owners. Wow. So also my daughter, my daughter. That's just makes me my heart hurt. I think someone's daughter died that way underground in a flash flood under the city of McGraw. Jennifer. What? The origins of the Underground Railroad at its very meager beginnings in the 1700s was started by and is credited to one Isaac T. Hopper. And he was a Quaker. Shut up. I said Quakers. A Quaker started the Underground Railroad? Holy Mm -hmm. crap. Mm -hmm. Jill, one of the first things you said about McGraw was that it felt like a railroad town. I know. It makes so much (laughs) more sense now. Because it was an underground railroad town. That's insane. What about um, organizations, industry, expanding? It's the the corset industry. What about your image of that cartoon wolf whistling like he's not up to anything but really is up to something? Yeah, like nothing to see here. Right. Just move it along. What do you think that means? Like that's what that means. Like he was showing me like it's a perfect analogy. Like there's nothing to see here. Move it along. That's the vibe I got. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. It's kind of like the Old Baptist Cemetery. The sign is there. You can't see it. Shut because it's your mouth, your you metaphoric-making mouth. Shut up. <laughs> because it, the sign is there, but all there is is a paved parking lot. Mm. And then the, the row of trees, you wouldn't even know that that cemetery was there if you didn't go digging for it, if you didn't go looking behind the trees. Otherwise, it's just paved over, looking like nothing is there at all. And that is an exact metaphor for the town. That's so true. And the history of the Underground Railroad there. There's nothing to see here. But, yeah. But yeah. we knew. Don't, yeah. For sure. We knew. And there are serious vibes in in McGraw, man. Serious vibes. Literally like the creepiest little town. Jessica was not lying. That Like, yes, New York is haunted. All right. Well, we'll have to go back. (laughs) I'm afraid. I want to go back. Okay, we'll go back. Okay, so thank you guys for listening. We love you, McGraw. I it's an amazing little place. And seriously, you guys, check out McGraw in Cortland, just four miles to the west. There is the best Korean beef restaurant, like legit, really good. So check out your spirits. Go eat the beef. All right, Jill, tell the people where they can find us. Well, check out our website, commonmystics.net. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and our Twitter feed at Common Mystics Pod. Listen in on wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And go to Apple Pods and leave us a positive review. We love reading them. Or just click five stars. Yeah. Just <laughs> tell your friends. And don't right. forget to check out Ghost Stories with Spooky T.I. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.